Hi, listeners. This is Understand South Carolina, a weekly news podcast from the Post and Courier. I'm Emily Williams. Today, we're talking with political reporter Jamie Lovegrove about what's become one of the most closely watched races in the country, the U.S. Senate race between Republican incumbent Lindsey Graham and Democratic challenger Jamie Harrison. If you're a loyal listener, you may remember that Jamie, the reporter, was on the podcast in the spring to talk about this race. At that time, nonpartisan election analysts still rated the seat as a safe Republican hold. Now the Cook Political Report considers it a toss-up, and new fundraising information released by Harrison's campaign revealed he just broke the record for the biggest fundraising quarter by any Senate candidate ever. Now, before we talk to Jamie, I just wanted to let our listeners know that for the next few weeks, all episodes of this podcast will be related to the 2020 election, and we hope you'll follow along. To be the first to know whenever a new episode drops, you can sign up for our weekly newsletter. We'll leave the sign-up link in our show notes. Well, thanks so much, Jamie, for taking the time to talk with us. I know you're extremely busy right now covering this race. Yes, that that wouldn't be putting it lightly, <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm happy to be yeah. here. Yeah, so I want to just start by talking about the fact that this race has changed a lot since the last time we talked for this podcast. Uh, like I said in our, our introduction, uh, when we spoke in, in April, pretty much people were saying this is this is pretty safe for, for Senator Graham, um, still a safe Republican hold. And Cook Political Report moved this race from lean Republican to toss-up. And they wrote, there has been no more surprising race on the senate map than south carolina so what what changed what changed since april jamie well millions and millions and millions of dollars were spent uh on tv ads all that money that that jamie harrison had been raising you know that much we did know at the time we knew that he was bringing in a lot of money um but we didn't know you know when it was going to start uh you know paying dividends for him and he started going up on tv introducing himself to south carolina voters you know even though he was the chairman of the south carolina democratic party a lot of people in south carolina did not know who he was going into this race um you know he introduced himself as as the son of a single mother from from orangeburg growing up in poverty and rising to uh, you know, some of the highest levels of politics. He worked on Capitol Hill for, for Congressman Clyburn. Uh, as I said, he was the chairman of the South Democratic Party. He was a lobbyist for several years, made an awful lot of money. Um, and, you know, is, is uh, he likes to frame himself as, as the, the classic picture of the American dream, a great success story. Uh, and, you know, then uh, over the, the ensuing few months started going on the attack against Senator Graham, painting him as, as someone who has changed, uh, someone who used to be more moderate, uh, someone who would work across the aisle with Democrats and has now, of course, become one of President Trump's closest allies in Congress uh, after being a, a vociferous critic of him during the 2016 campaign. And, you know, arguing that, that some South Carolina voters who had, who had given Graham the benefit of the doubt in previous elections, you know, Graham won by 17 points in, in, 20, in 2014, his last re-election race. A lot of moderate Democrats liked Senator Graham. Uh, you know, Jamie Harrison has made the case that those folks shouldn't be with him anymore, that they should uh, elect some, some new blood, uh, give someone else a chance to represent the state in the Senate. And, 
you know, over time, it got closer and closer and closer. Um, he has vastly outraised Senator Graham, so he's been able to run far more TV ads than Graham has, uh, and that's always very helpful. Uh, and, you know, he's really stuck by that message, and, and, and here we are. It's an extremely close race. I, I want to talk about the first time that they faced off on the debate stage. And you spoke to this a little bit about how uh, Harrison has kind of presented himself to voters. But how did they do that on that debate stage? And then how were they trying to describe and characterize their opponent? Well, so both of them emphasize the fact that they have these humble upbringings. As I mentioned, Jamie Harrison from Orangeburg, the son of a single mother, uh, Lindsey Graham. You know, a lot of folks may may know this already. He's talked about this uh, in years past, but he grew up in his family's pool hall at the bar in central South Carolina. Um, got to see a lot of salt of the earth South Carolinians growing up. Um and, uh, you know, rose, of course, to, to become one of the most influential figures in South Carolina politics. Uh, and so they both played that up a little bit. And then, you know, they, they really focused on the issues that they see as uh, most viable for them. And those are different for each of them. Jamie Harrison was really focused on the coronavirus pandemic and what he sees as, as the failures in responding to that, um, not just by Senator Graham, but by the Trump administration and the White House, uh, the entire uh, of Congress um, and state leadership in South Carolina as well. Uh, and that ties into his broader message, which is also about health care. Uh, you know, he has really pushed for building on, expanding upon uh, the Affordable Care Act, better known as Obamacare, uh, and and helping folks with pre-existing conditions. And, uh, and that's been a message that Democrats have used all over the country in races that they see as one of their most viable issues to talk about, an issue that they can, that they can run on and win. Um, you know, conservative voters, Republican voters tend to care an awful lot about the courts. They tend to care a lot about conservative judicial appointments. Uh, and it's been a huge priority for Graham since he took over the Judiciary Committee. So he really tried to make it more of a debate about that. You know, they both uh, had moments when they were able to, to focus on those respective issues that they care the most about. Um, and, you know, I, I think it was a little surprising to some folks, given the fact that this was really Jamie Harrison's first debate. He did do some when he was running for chairman of the Democratic National Committee in 2016. But, you know, as a statewide political candidate in South Carolina, this was really his first debate, whereas Senator Graham has a lot of experience on the debate stage. He, you know, was on a presidential debate stage in 2016 during his his relatively short-lived uh, campaign for president. He's run many times in South Carolina. He's been involved in a lot of debates. He has a lot of experience up there. He considers that kind of a strong suit for him. Um, but despite that, you know, Jamie Harrison came out pretty unfazed uh, by by being new to the stage. He uh, seemed quite comfortable up there. He was able to get his talking points across and, and really challenged Senator Graham uh, on a lot of issues, too. So it was uh, contentious. It was a lot more civil than the, the presidential debate that we saw just a few days before it. Um, but it was, uh, you know, another indication of just how competitive this race is. And like you were saying earlier, so much of this race's progression has been about fundraising, right? And there was a specific figure for how much Harrison's campaign was able to raise during the debate, right? Um, what was that? And, and do we know how much Graham was able to raise, did they say? 
Yeah, well, no, Graham's folks did not say how much they raised. Um, we do know that uh, just in the hour of that debate alone, uh, Jamie Harrison's campaign raised uh, well over 100000 almost $200,000. Uh, and then a couple hours later, it had gone up to $340,000. By the next morning, he had raised over a million dollars since the start of that debate. Uh, you know, that has been kind of par for the course for him. He has had uh, really remarkable levels of fundraising. You know, a couple of weeks before that, when a poll came out showing the race tied, he raised uh, $2 million in two days. Um, and, uh, you know, that, as you say, has been one of the stories of this race has been, you know, both of them have done far better than any candidates in South Carolina history before this. But, but Jamie Harrison in particular has far outpaced uh, Graham on that front. You know, a lot of the money on both sides has been coming from out of state, um, but that, you know, which demonstrates the level of national interest in this race. This has really become uh, one of the most closely watched Senate races in the country in a year of, of quite a few pretty closely watched Senate races. Uh, right, and we know that, that this is the most expensive uh, race in, in South Carolina history, and we were already talking about that months ago, talking about that in, in April, that it was already shaping up to be that way. What about at, at this point? Do we know how much has been spent? Say, how much how much has been spent on advertising, and, and do we know the difference between the two candidates it, there? It is really remarkable. I mean, when we talked back in April, we, we did know at that point it was well on its way to becoming the most expensive race in South Carolina history. We definitely did not know at that time just how much that was going to be the case. I mean, just to put this in perspective, we're on track now at this point to uh, surpass more than $100 million of spending in this race, both from the candidates and increasingly from outside groups, uh, super PACs and, and other folks who are kind of pouring their money into this race and running their own ads uh, about these candidates. Um, and that has infused another sort of source of, of spending. Uh, you know, to put that into context, I mean, the most expensive race in South Carolina history before this was the 2016 presidential primaries in both parties combined. So you're talking about Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders, who were, of course, running on the Democratic side, and you're talking about all of those Republican candidates. It was, of course, a very crowded Republican field in 2016, including uh, now President Trump, Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, uh, all those folks who were running then. Every single one of those candidates combined spent about $42 million in South Carolina. So we are now more than double that. And when you compare it to typical statewide elections in South Carolina, races for governor or races for Senate, uh, you know, it, it's just exponentially more. I mean, we have never, ever seen anything like this before. Most races in South Carolina, even the most competitive ones, are less than $10 million. I mean, so we are talking orders of magnitude uh, greater than that. And, you know, I, I think any South Carolina listener uh, who is tuning in will have seen uh, just what that spending means. It means that you really can't turn anywhere in South Carolina right now. You cannot turn on a television, uh, a laptop. You can't drive uh, down the street without seeing billboards um, about this race, uh, particularly uh, for Jamie Harrison, who is now outspending Graham, uh, you know, by a considerable margin every week, sometimes six to seven to one. Um, and, and, you know, again, that goes back to why this race has become as close as it is. I actually, um, from, from one of your, your stories, you had quoted him directly from one of those Fox News appearances, and the quote is, uh, help me, uh, 
and this is on on Sean Sean Hannity's program. Yeah. Uh, help me, they're killing me money wise. Help me yeah. was the direct quote. Yeah, so he he has been quite clear about the fact that he really really needs uh, financial help right now. You know, he again. In any other election year, Senator Graham, the, the money that he's raising would be more than enough. I mean, he's certainly broken his own records. He was the record holder before this, you know. And uh, now, when Jamie Harrison is bringing in this much, uh, he's just unable to compete. And, and, you know, those Fox News appearances help. You know, when I talk to the Graham campaign, they say that, you know, anytime he goes and does that, says things uh, like, help me on Sean Hannity's show, they do raise a bunch more money. Um, but at least so far, it just has not been enough to catch up to the, you know, money printing machine that, that Jamie Harrison's campaign has become. Yeah. And I'm sure one of those things that's, that's motivating donors to donate to, um, uh, Jamie Harrison's campaign is his performance in the polls, which is, which has changed, of course. Uh, what did the latest polls say and, and how has that changed since, uh, earlier this year and, um, and maybe in the last few months. Yeah, well, so, you know, it's been fairly consistent now for the last month or two. Uh, basically, every poll in this race has it at uh, effectively a statistical tie. Some of them are exactly tied. We, uh, the most recent Quinnipiac poll had them at 48 to 48, which was exactly the same as Quinnipiac poll from two weeks earlier as 48-48. Um, there have been polls that have had Senator Graham up by a couple of points. There have been uh, internal Jamie Harrison campaign polls that have had Jamie up by one or two points. But, you know, when you look at a poll in the margin of error, you know, if one candidate is up by that small of a margin, that means statistically it's still a virtual tie. Uh, and so... You know, there is very little breathing room between these candidates at this point. Um, and, uh, you know, one factor that may come into play, too, is some of these polls have not included, uh, you know, the third party candidate, Bill Bledsoe, uh, who recently dropped out and endorsed Graham. But he'll still be on the ballot. He could pick up some votes, too. Uh, you know, polls are just a snapshot. They're never an exact science. Uh, but even the skeptics of polls at this point uh, are acknowledging that there's no question this is a very close race. So, of course, we've, we've talked about how the, the fundraising has just escalated and, and how Jamie Harrison has been able to out-fundraise Senator Graham, but is, is there anything else at play here, I guess I'm wondering? Is it for, to get to, like I said, where, where we were talking about this race in, in the spring, where it still seemed like a, like a Republican safe hold, to now it being a toss-up is there are there other things at play other than the money i guess certainly i mean money can only go so far if you don't have a message that is resonating with voters uh and you know senator graham won by 17 points in 2014 uh he's really never faced an election quite like this at least since his first run back in 2002 uh and you know, it's because of the fact that, that his reputation has so dramatically shifted over the last uh, few years. He was a really, really strong critic of President Trump in 2016. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, as he still points out, you know, he was uh, viewed as a moderate before that. Uh, he voted for two of President Obama's Supreme Court justices, uh, Sonia Sotomayor and Elena Kagan. Uh, he was on the Gang of Eight, uh, which worked on an immigration compromise um, during President Obama's uh, administration. It passed the Senate but didn't pass the House. Um, and that, that 
drew a lot of animosity from the right for Graham. He actually, for several years, uh, you know, was viewed with uh, a lot of animosity uh, from from sort of uh, uber conservatives. And as a result, you know, his actual his biggest challenge in 2014 was his Republican primary. He was able to emerge from that unscathed, but he drew several challengers in that race. Uh, and, and, you know, the primary was what he was most worried about. Once he cleared that, he was able to win his general election pretty easily. And it's because of the fact that back then, because of his reputation, there were a lot of moderate Democrats uh, and a lot of independent voters who really liked Senator Graham and were very comfortable voting for him. Uh, you know, he was getting well over 50 percent of the vote. Uh, and, and, you know, he had, he'd cobbled together this, this coalition of uh, moderate Republicans and moderate Democrats. He had a lot of crossover vote on both sides. Uh, as a result of his shift over the last few years and becoming so closely tied to President Trump, that's really changed. Now he is really dependent almost exclusively on Republican-identifying voters, not just Republicans, but specifically Republicans who like President Trump. Of course, there are some Republicans who don't like President Trump. Uh, and so he is really dependent on those folks. Meanwhile, there is still a pretty small contingent, not pretty small, a very small contingent, but not insignificant number of folks on the far right who still have not forgotten about, you know, Senator Graham's old reputation, uh, about the fact that he voted for Obama's Supreme Court justices, about the fact that he was a compromiser on immigration. And so they are also not necessarily sold on Senator Graham. They're, they're planning to vote for President Trump, and they're not going to vote for Jamie Harrison, but they might not vote in the Senate race, or they might vote for the third-party candidate. Um, and so he's kind of getting squeezed on both sides, and, you know, as a result, uh, it, it, he finds himself in this in this pretty precarious uh, situation. And you sat down with with Senator Graham uh, a, a little earlier in this in this election season uh, for our Pints and Politics event. So that's that's an event where um, we have a couple of r- reporters or, or editors sit down with a candidate and ask questions. And, you know, we take questions from. From subscribers too, uh, and one of the things that you talked about with him was what people have said about him having changed, um, and and he kind of defended himself. Can you speak a little bit to that, and then we're gonna play a bit of that clip. Sure. So you know he vigorously defended himself, and he has throughout this campaign. Uh, you know he has said that. The South Carolina voters should not be surprised by what he has done over the last few years. He argues he has not changed, that the, the through line for all of Senator Graham's career is that he is someone who wants to be in the room. He's going to have influence. He's going to be someone who is going to, to be there uh, fighting for South Carolina. And what that has meant over the last few years is you, you got to be close to President Trump. If you're not close to President Trump, if you're attacking him from the sidelines, he's not going to listen to you. Um, he's not going to take your advice. And so, you know, it was sort of a, a, a trade-off he had to make. He had to come around and, and support him uh, and, and recognize the fact that President Trump is very popular in the Republican Party now. Right. So let's, let's play that, a bit of that. This is from the Pints and Politics event with Senator Graham. But I haven't changed. I still am pro-life. I do believe in responsible gun ownership, not a national gun registry. The differences between me and Jamie Harrison are stark. And if you vote for Jamie Harrison, you never really were a Republican. So you called you called Trump a race baiting religious 
bigots. Xenophobic, xenophobic, xenophobic race baiting, religious bigots. And now you're trying to tell us that you haven't changed when you're best friend in Congress. No, what I'll tell you is that he won and I lost. And go through the Democratic primary and see what they called each other. See, in your business, you only talk about Trump. You know, Joe Biden gets a pass from the time he wakes up to the time he goes to bed, and there's only like an hour where he's engaged with people. So I know how the game's played. I ran hard against Trump. He kicked my ass. I accepted my defeat. I want him to win. I've got to know him. I push back when I think it makes sense. On Syria, I push back hard. There's a lot of times I don't agree with the president. Mostly I do. And uh, my opponent uh, would have voted against Kavanaugh. I thought Kavanaugh was a great pick. I, I advise President Trump to pick Brett Kavanaugh. Any conservative would like Kavanaugh to be the pick. Same with Gorsuch. So if you're a conservative Republican, Trump has done good. So I think that's a, a good segue to the other main reason, aside from this race that Senator Graham has been in the news lately, and that's the Supreme Court. So as many know, uh, Graham promised that Republicans would not move to confirm a Trump nominee in the last year of his term. And, and he said that after Democrats were outraged when Senate Republicans blocked Obama's last nominee and even encouraged people uh, to, quote, hold the tape. And they did. It's been it's been all over in the in the week since then, that that clip of him making that statement. Um, how has Harrison responded to that? Of course, he has jumped all over it and and, and looked to uh, capitalize on that and, and emphasize the fact that he has, uh, you know, this this is one position in which it is there is no dispute about it. Senator Graham has changed his mind. Uh, he, as you say, he said both in 2016 and again in 2018 uh, that he was not going to do exactly what he is doing right now, which is to confirm uh, a Trump Supreme Court nominee shortly before an election. You know, he argues that uh, that the rules changed after the very uh, contentious fight over Brett Kavanaugh's nomination uh, a couple of years ago. Um, but, you know, as Jamie Harrison's pointed out, Senator Graham actually said after the Kavanaugh hearings that he still would not vote to confirm someone in the last year uh, of Trump's term. You know, look, as I said earlier, conservatives care a lot about the court. Re Republican voters care a lot about uh, no nominating and confirming uh, conservative judicial nominees. And Senator Graham was, uh, you know, he had to balance those two interests and, and ultimately determined that, that getting those getting that nominee confirmed um, mattered more than um, staying true to, to that promise. Uh, and, you know, the, the question is going to be where voters stand on that. We've seen a couple of polls on it in South Carolina, and much like the race, it's pretty split. There are quite a few, you know, almost half of voters who say that it should wait until after the election and that whoever wins the election, whether it's Donald Trump or Joe Biden, should have a chance to, to not to pick their own nominee. Uh, and then there are others uh, who say that it should happen right now. And, and as Senator Graham has said, you know, look, voters already picked Trump in 2016. Um, they already gave Republicans the Senate majority in 2018. And, you know, as a result, uh, their voices have already been heard. Uh, and so, you know, that's his position. And, and he uh, is going to be going to bat for, for Amy Coney Barrett, Trump's nominee. And, uh, you know, that is certainly going to have 
some kind of an impact on this race one way or ne- one way or the other. Right, and th- and this came up with uh, Jamie Harrison at the Pines and Politics event with with him, and um, so let's go ahead and, and hear some of what he had to say about this Supreme Court battle in his own words. Well, yeah, that's a good question. But right now, the precedent is we're establishing a new precedent that you can do it, right? Because the Republicans and Lindsey Graham established a new precedent in 2016 when they didn't even give Merrick Garland. Not even did they not give him a hearing, but many of them didn't even meet with the guy. And you can't tell me. And many of them had voted for him to be on the Court of Appeals in Washington, D.C. So they set a new uh, standard for how the Senate would take up these appointments. Now they are setting a new standard for how we take up these appointments. I'm about the rules and the standards that we have set. So if this is good for you, then it's gonna be good for me, right? Because that is the standard. And, and, and all I'm saying is, folks, just stick to your word. Be true to who you are. So do, do some feel like that could help Senator Graham though? Uh, the fact that he is, uh, supporting this Supreme Court nomination? Well, the reason it could help is, you know, I mentioned that that kind of small contingent of folks on the right who are still skeptical of Graham. This is a core opportunity for him to bring those folks home to say, look, you know, you may not agree with me on everything, but you care about conservative judicial nominees and I am fighting harder than anyone to get them confirmed. Um, thanks so much, Jamie, for, for joining us today. Quick question for you. What have been the best and worst parts of covering this Senate race huh. in 2020? Huh. Um, you know, it's uh, the fact that we've had to do this during a pandemic has been very dif- different than any campaign I've had to, to cover before. Um, you know, one of my favorite things about covering campaigns uh, is getting to, to travel, getting to talk to voters, um, getting to, to see the candidates, you know, in their element on the campaign trail, delivering their stump speeches, seeing big crowds, uh, and also, uh, you know, getting to, to see South Carolina. I love getting to, to travel around the state and um, trying some, some, some new barbecue in every new town I get to. We haven't been able to do that because of this pandemic, and that has been different and unfortunate. Um, but, you know, uh, this has been a very exciting race to cover because of the fact that it is so competitive. It's really unlike any race we've seen in South Carolina before. Uh, and so, you know, getting to, to cover a race that close is, is always exciting for reporters. And it means that there's a whole lot of interest right now um, in the race and in our reporting. Uh, and that's, that's always exciting to see. All right, so we had a feeling that this would happen, but there were other important developments since uh, since we talked with Jamie last week. Uh, so we just wanted to check in on a couple of things. Um, first, the second debate between Jamie Harrison and Lindsey Graham was not a debate. What happened there? So uh, shortly after we first spoke... Um, Jamie Harrison put out a press release demanding that Lindsey Graham get tested for the coronavirus before the debate. Uh, He said that he had agreed to do that. uh, The moderators had agreed to do it. um, But Senator Graham was resisting that. Um, And uh, shortly after that, Senator Graham responded and said no. Uh, He said that he had been cleared by his uh, physician, both his, his own physician in South Carolina and the attending physician of Congress, um, 
to participate in normal activities without testing. Um, the attending physician of Congress said that Graham was uh, compliant with CDC guidelines, that there was no need for him to get tested, that um, there was no concerns about his health. Um, and Graham relied on that to say, you know, I'm not going to, to follow the testing requests of my political opponents. I'm going to follow the requests of my doctors. And do they still have another debate left before the election? So it's a little unclear right now. Um, we are the ones who are supposed to be hosting it, uh, along with our friends at SCETV. Um, we were originally going to do it on October 21st. Um, Senator Graham has now told us that he does not expect that date to work because of his uh, schedule in the Senate, where he is trying to confirm uh, President Trump's Supreme Court nominee, Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, and so we are working with the campaigns now to hopefully find another date. Uh, it may be maybe sooner than the 21st, more likely it will be later than the 21st. Um, but, uh, hopefully we're, we're able to work that out. Um, yeah, we'll be keeping our eyes on that one. And then one more thing, I, I teased this in the, the intro, but we got big news from, from Jamie Harrison's campaign on fundraising for this quarter. How much did he raise? He raised $57 million in the third quarter of 2020. So that's from July through September. Um, that was by far uh, the most any Senate candidate in American history has ever raised in a three-month period. Uh, it broke the record that Beto O'Rourke in Texas set in 2018 in the last quarter of his race before um, falling just short in the race against Senator Ted Cruz. Beto O'Rourke raised uh, $38 million in that period. So Jamie Harrison beat it by almost $20 million. Um, it is an absolutely astounding amount of money. Uh, it means that Jamie Harrison's total for the race now that he's raised is $86 million, which is $6 million more than Beto O'Rourke raised for his entire campaign. Uh, so, you know, we said that there was unprecedented levels of money. Uh, this really takes it to... A whole new level and the race is is not done yet jamie harrison is still raising a lot of money every single day um it is uh truly unlike anything not only south carolina has ever seen but that any state really has ever seen right and we're we're posting this episode on october 15th and i believe that's the deadline for when um the fundraising total for the quarter has to be disclosed, right? So do we know yet how much Lindsey Graham raised and what that discrepancy is yet? We don't yet. Um, we will likely find out on the 15th. Generally, um, in most quarters of this year, um, Jamie Harrison has been announcing his totals um, a few days after the end of the quarter, whereas Lindsey Graham has been waiting until the deadline to release his totals. Um, that tends to be because Senator Graham is raising less than Jamie Harrison, and you're not quite as excited to announce your total if you're getting outraised. Um, but, uh, you know, we also still haven't seen Jamie Harrison's actual uh, disclosure. Uh, he, he has not filed it yet. He'll file it on the 15th. Um, and when we get to see that, um, we will, A, we'll get confirmation about his $57 million, but we'll also get to see how much he's been spending. And we'll get to see how much money he had left in his campaign account when we entered October uh, and, and see, you know, what kind of money he was working with um, in, in this final 
month here. I would imagine that the spending number is going to be extremely high, um, just based on all the ads that we've been seeing. That costs a lot of money. He has probably been spending a lot of money. But, you know, because of the fact that he raised $86 million so far in this campaign, he probably also had a lot left over to spend in this last month of the race. Uh, and we know that he has been significantly outspending Senator Graham every week for the last few months. Um, and, and I'd expect that to continue here. Well, we will, as always, link all of those related stories. Um, if you are interested in this race, we have a lot of reading material for you if you haven't been keeping up with it. So we will include all of that. But thanks so much, um, Jamie, for joining us briefly again to give those important updates. And uh, good luck with the next few weeks. Thanks, Emily. Up until November 3rd, our episodes are going to be about the 2020 election. Do you have questions about voting or the races happening in our state? We want to hear them. Send your questions to us at understandsc at postandcourier.com. You can send an audio clip or write a message, and we'll try to answer them in a future episode. Understand South Carolina is a production of The Post and Courier. Our music is by Billy Fountain. You can stream his music on Spotify at Billy Fountain. We'd love to know what you think of this show. You can reach us at understandsc at postandcourier.com or on Twitter at understandsc. If you're a fan of this show, please rate and review us on the Apple Podcasts app. Keep up with the latest headlines at postandcourier.com. We'll see you all next week.